Amen, amen. We will be in Psalm 19 this morning. We are finishing up our Psalm series. I have heard a few things in the last week or so that preachers don't hear very often. Man, I wish this sermon series would keep going. I've really enjoyed this. I've heard that a couple of times, and it was like, wow, that, that's new. That's fun. Uh, I think it's because of the power of the Psalms. Obviously, it's not because of me. It's because of the power of the Psalms, and I think the reflection time that we have spent in the Psalms has been good for us. I know it's been good for me personally. I think it's been good for many of, many of us together. We're finishing that up today. Uh, who knows? We may have another series in this later on. There's 150 of them, so we could spend a lot of time here if we wanted to. Uh, FBCDan.com slash notes if you'd like to take notes or if you just want to try it out for the first time. Uh, we'll take you to my sermon notes, and you can take notes with that and then email it to yourself when that's done. Uh, and, and just keep that to yourself. If you just want my notes, you can just go to that link and then put your email in and, and, and email those notes to you. So I know some of you are nerdy like me, and you like that, and that's great. Some of you aren't, and you should be, but you're not. Uh, <laughs> so, again, we've been in Psalms now for several weeks. We've spent some time here. We started with Psalm 130. In Psalm 130, we talked about and looked at many things, but the main point of Psalm 130 is that our hope for salvation is only in the word of the Lord, and that word is literally Jesus. In Psalm 34, we spent two weeks there, and we looked at the experience of the goodness of God, that to taste and see, experience, taste and see the goodness of God, and that, and that I will praise Him at all times, no matter what, because Yahweh is our Redeemer. Psalm 51, we spent some time there. Uh, the, the, the most repentant psalm probably in all of the psalms. We must repent from sin. This is acknowledge and confess our sin and our need for forgiveness and our desire for a clean heart. And we know that that was when David had, had blown it about as bad as a human being could, blown it, could blow it whenever he wrote that psalm for us to be able to still learn from. And then Stuart... Uh, stepped in one week and did a phenomenal job preaching on Psalm 119 and the importance of God's Word and that we should have a heart that delights in God's Word and that we should make it the foundation of everything that we do. Then we went to Psalm 96. We must, we must, we must declare the glory of God. We must say it, proclaim it, declare the glory of God. We have to evangelize, in other words, uh, and that we should share the good news because of how glorious God is. And then we went to Psalm 46 last week. And uh, as Doug said that to me this morning, that was kind of a Red Bull sermon. I was fired up last week. I love that psalm, and I love that name of God, that title of God, Yahweh Sawaiot, the, the Lord of hosts. It's the warrior name of God, and that brings out a lot of things in me that, for the most part, I try to keep in a box, but sometimes they come out. And uh, I love that part of God, that God is going to come back and finally conquer evil, and we're all going to fall on our faces before him whenever he does, whether we placed our faith in him or not. Every knee will, will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we're finishing up this week in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is really God's revelation to us and our proper response to him because of that revelation. That's really what this psalm is talking about. It really talks about the majesty of God through creation and through his law. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And if you're there with me, let's read through it together. It says, Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. 
Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There's great reward in keeping them. Finishing up verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord God, please speak to me and through me today. God, decrease me, increase your glory, increase your word. Lord, do what you have for us to do this morning. God, work your spirit in us and through us. Use your word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. God, to lay us bare, to open us up, to show us how glorious you are and how in need of you we are. God, I pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so there's really three sections of this psalm as we dig into this psalm this morning. And uh, I, I really like the, just the way the, the nerdy part of me really likes the, the, the way David describes, this is, a, this is a Davidic psalm, describes the creation of God in this, in this. And I spent way too much time this week looking at facts about the universe and facts about space and facts about all that type of stuff. And I had a mountain of that stuff to share with you. And then God was like, no, like focus on what matters. So I have a few facts to share with you, but whew, not near as many as I went over this week. But it was fun for me. I'll be honest. It was fun for me. That's how you know I'm a nerd. It was literally fun for me to, to, to go through all of those facts and to learn that stuff. But there's three parts to this. God is revealing himself. He ha has revealed himself. He's revealed himself through his creation. And then more specifically, there's a general re revelation through his creation. And then more specifically, he has revealed himself through his legislation, which is a just a rhyming way to say his law or his word, right? What we carry around and bring us to, to church with us most of the time. And then because of that revelation, we have a chance to respond. And there's really only one proper response to a revelation of a God of this magnitude, a God that is, that, that is like this, that is this Glorious. So that's how it's broken down. The 1 through 6, 7 through 11, 12 through 14, and we'll go through all of these. So it starts with the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hand. Think about all the crazy, cool things we know about the universe. Even if you just have a, a very slight understanding of the knowledge that we have gained about the universe through science, through technology, the fact how far we can look out and see and the things that we know. Think about all of that, how much we've observed and learned through science and exploration. It's, it's really awe-inspiring to, to, to know those things, to see those things. And if you aren't careful, 
because that's put in front of us in society and, and through all the different types of medium and things like that. You would think, if you weren't careful, that scientists have got it pretty much all discovered and explained and figured out. And you'd be really wrong if you thought that. Let me, let me tell you just a few facts, okay? This is the mountain that got drawn down into just a few facts. Here are some things that we don't know, scientifically speaking, about the universe yet. We don't know how big it is. We have no idea how big the universe is. We know how big the universe that we can see so far is, but we have no idea how much more there is past what we can see with the technology that we have. Currently, the, estimate, the estim estimation is 150 million light years, which is a lot, but we don't know what's past that. So we don't even know how big all of creation is. We don't know what shape it is. We have no idea what the shape of the universe is. And that's weird to think about, right? Like that kind of stretches my mind in ways that hurt. Right? But we don't really know what the shape of the universe is. It may be flat. It probably is flat, they think. It may be a pickered horn. Right? Go look that up. I don't even know what that is. Right? It may be a sphere. The whole universe may be a sphere, but we're not even sure what the shape of it is. We don't know what caused the beginning of the universe, scientifically speaking. They have an idea of what happened, but they have no idea how it happened. Like, what made that happen? They have an idea and a, and a theory on, on that, but, they, but, they, but no scientist can say, this is what made that happen. We just know that it happened after the fact. Side note, and I won't chase it very long, I promise. Did you know that the scientist that discovered the beginning of the universe was trying to disprove the fact that there was a beginning of the universe? Because if the universe was eternal and there was no beginning of the universe, then Genesis wasn't true. And this, this scientist that was trying to disprove the beginning of the universe is the one who realized through scientific fact that, man, it actually has a beginning. And that scientist says, not making this up, I don't want to misquote him, because of what we know now, the Genesis explanation of creation has borne true in scientific fact. The guy that was trying to disprove that had to admit that that was the case. I won't chase that because I could, I could spend a long time on this. I could really nerd out, and I'm not going to. Fourth thing, and I've only got five, and I'll be done. Fourth thing, why is the universe just right for us to live? We don't know. Why, where we live, is it just, they call it the Goldilocks paradox. You know, like, it, this is too hot, this is too warm, this is too cold, this is, but this is just right. We, don't, we can't explain that. Why is it just right for us to live? Like, all the stuff, if you shifted it or moved it or turned the earth this way or moved the sun a little bit further away or anything out there, the whole thing could collapse on itself. But it doesn't. Why is that? Scientifically, we can't, we can't speak to that. And this one, this one blows my mind. Last one. We don't know what makes up 95% of the universe. 95% of it, we have no scientific explanation for it whatsoever. We just know that it's there. What do I mean by that? Okay? The planets, the stars, all the physical stuff, us, all the physical stuff in the universe, that makes up 5% of the universe. The rest of it is dark matter and dark energy. And we have no idea what that is. 
of the universe. 20, about 25% is a little more than that. About 25% is dark matter. About 70% is dark energy. And we have no idea what it is, how it works, and how it came to be. No idea. That's a big thing not to know. I, I'm not super, super smart at all. But I know that 95% is almost all of something. Right? So we, we have no idea what 95% of the world is. We have a decent idea of what 5% of this stuff is, scientific, but scientifically, nothing at all. But we do. We know what that stuff is. I mean, we may not be able to scientifically explain it, but we know what that stuff is. God, God's words already told us. Check this out in 1 Colossians. 1 Colossians chapter thir- or, uh, verse 13. He, being God, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin in Him. And then continuing in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, He being Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. We know that that 95% holds the whole universe together, but we cannot explain what it is scientifically, and God gives it to us right there. It's him. He's holding it all together. That simple fact alone is a a very comforting thing to me, to know that this thing is not going to just implode out of nowhere. So, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. The heavens is like we, what we think of. The word there is like what we, we would think of as outer space. Right? Outer space. The word, this is the word that's used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Same Hebrew word used in Psalms as the one used for there. Okay? And then the sky is the word used in Genesis 1.8. And God called the expanse or the firmament, your English may say, Sky. So the author of Genesis, Moses, 3,500 years ago, and the author of, the song, of this psalm, David, 3,000 years ago, recognized that there was a separation between the sky and then what else was out there. They had no idea what, a, what, a, what an atmosphere was. They had no idea, what, but they could look and see. Obviously, something is separating what we see in daytime to what we see at nighttime. This, the fact that this mixture of gases exists around our planet and allows us to live, they could see that with their eyes then, even though they couldn't really explain it. The fact that water, think about this, water just sits up there in the firmament, in the, in the, in the clouds, in the, in the atmosphere. It just sits up there and it moves and then drops out of the sky. It sits up there like it doesn't weigh anything. Have you ever picked up a gallon of water? It's heavy, about 10 pounds for a gallon of water. And there's gallons and gallons and gallons just floating around in clouds and then just drops on us, and we just act like it's no big deal. Like, it's mind-blowing. We get so distracted by, by, by life and everything that we forget. Like, that's an amazing thing. How does it do that? I have no idea, other than I know God created it, and it expresses his glory. That's all I can tell you. So it's amazing and, the, and, and because they, they recognize this separation, they notice that what we see in daytime is a little different than what we see in nighttime. Verse 2, day after day they pour out speech. Night after night 
they communicate knowledge, the heavens and the sky, right? Think about this. And Josh, Kelly, you, you, you can kind of see this because you've lived in a place where this almost happens or it kind of happens. Think about if the sun shined all the time. It didn't rise and it didn't set. It's hard to do, but think about if it did that, if it just shined all the time. It was daytime sky all the time wherever you could see. Think about what that would be like. Think about what you would miss. Think about all that is out there that we would have no idea that it is out there if the sun didn't rise and set. Now, I know the sun doesn't rise and set, literally. But experientially, from our point of view, it looks like it rises and it sets. So that is a true statement from an experiential standpoint. So anybody out there that's listening one day on the YouTubes or whatever that wants to be like, oh, the sun doesn't rise. Yes, it does. You can't feel the earth turning. It looks like the sun's rising. That's what it means. It's not incorrect. Give me a break. Right? But the sun sets. <laughs> and the glory of the heavens can only be seen at night. They burst forth with knowledge at nighttime. The recognition of our great God and the heavens that he has created could only be seen if he allowed the sun, created a world in which the sun set. It's an amazing thing. Only, only a biased and or hard heart could look up at the wonders of the night sky and not recognize that there must be a God that did all that. There must be. Only a biased or, or hard heart, only an unrepentant heart could look at the beauty of a sunrise or the breathtaking beauty of a sunset the awe that that would create and the most obvious fact that something must have created that for that to take place it hits you what that is why that is there must be a creator and he must have created that for the enjoyment of his created beings it's like a really humbling fact to think about that. Then it says, verse 3, there is no speech. There are no words. The voice is not heard. Their message hasn't gone out to all the earth. And the word, words reach the end of the world. What is it saying? There's no excuse for not looking around and going, yeah, something had to do this. But it does that without saying a word. Love the way one person said it. The skies declare God's glory in a language that doesn't have to be translated. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter nationality. It doesn't matter your status in society. It doesn't matter your language. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. We can all look around and go, wow, that's amazing. Something had to do that. Something had to do that. Without words, it says that. It says that God's glory is great. In other words, every watch has a watchmaker. And creation obviously has a creator. Obviously, when you look at the glory of the Lord in the skies. And in the heavens, he has pitched a tent. This is, I love this part. Has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a groom coming forth from a bridal chamber, which can make you blush when you think about that. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. David uses some really cool imagery here to get the point across here. And it's totally on purpose what... David is doing here because many ancient pagan religious systems held their sun god at or near the top of their religious system. 
So David is doing this on purpose, spending some time on the glory of the sun. And he says here, yeah, the sun, it's awesome. Look at it. It comes up and it goes down. It comes up and it goes down. It comes up and it goes down. And it follows this track and it goes this way and it goes this way. But it's just part of my God, the real God's created universe. It's just part of what he has done. It's not your sun God. It's my God. He created that and everything else. So he's doing that on purpose. This real God, this Lord of hosts who created all that stuff. He's the one that did it. And he says the sun has a track that runs it daily. It's an ordered system. It rises and it sets. And it rises and it sets. It's obviously coming from a, from a creator. And he, and he uses this imagery here like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. Every morning the sun bursts forth with the power and the radiance and the joy of a groom coming from the bridal chamber. Now, we don't have to think very hard or very long why the groom is bursting forth with power and glory at this moment. Let that linger for just a second, and then we'll move on. The groom comes out of that room with energy and with a smile. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on. The sun rejoices like an athlete bursting out of the starting blocks, like, like an athlete running a race that's reaching and striving to hit the tape first. And then when you hit that tape first, what comes out? Sheer enjoyment. Sheer enjoyment. So being the athletic nerd that I am, here's a, here's a quick visual of this, about a minute. Athletes coming out of the block and the fastest 100-meter dash we've ever witnessed or recorded in the history of the world, a 9.58 in the 100 meters. I'd be excited if I ran that fast too. I would be excited if I ran that fast too. I could almost run that fast if you added about three seconds to it. Uh, which doesn't, I mean, three seconds doesn't sound like a lot, except in that context. But anyway, that, that's, that's what David is trying to get us to picture. Yeah, the sun, it bursts forth. It's amazing. You think you should worship the sun. I'm telling you, the real God just created that and the rest of it that we see and everything else that we see. And that God wants to redeem you. That's what David is saying. So, right back to our scriptures. If I can find it quick enough. Where are we at? Way down there. I even put a mark on it and I still can't find it. There it is. And it rises from one end of the heavens and circles around the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Sun's amazing. Even a blind man that can't see the sun can feel the sun. The radiant heat of the sun. No one is without excuse. That's what Paul tells us, right? 
This is from Romans. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For they, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude to him. You say, what about the guy off in the far? No one has an excuse. We can all look up and say, something's in charge of all this. And it ain't me. That's what David is saying in the psalm. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans. And then David shifts gears. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Now David switches gears here and goes to the detailed revelation of God. General revelation in creation, detailed revelation in his law or in his word. In the Bible, in Scripture, whatever word you want to use for it, it's all the same thing. It's all telling you the same thing. God has revealed who he is. He didn't stop with creation. He moved on to his legislation, to his word. And ultimately, he moved on and finished with his personified word, with Jesus Christ, the living embodiment of who he is, literally called the word. Now, remember, we're in Psalms. Psalms is what? Psalms is poetry. Okay? Now, I know you, some of you didn't like poetry in English class, and I get that. Neither did I. But this is different. This is cool. In poetry, David uses what's called here as a bicolas. Bicolas. Six bicolas. Six double-stated statements that make a point. Six times he talks about the law and then, and then something that goes with the law. Six times right here in a row in these next several verses, 7 through 11. He uses words for God's law. He uses words for his word. He says, instruction, testimony, precept, commands, fear, and ordinances. Six different words, six different ways to describe God, God's word, his law. And then he uses six statements that explain the benefit and or the effect of that law. It renews life. God's word is living bread and living water. And it renews us physically and spiritually. His word is trustworthy and it turns foolish people into wise people is what David says there in those first verses. And then in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Excuse me, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. His precepts are right. They make our heart, our inner eternal self, happy, satisfied, fulfilled in a real way. God's commands light us up. They light us up. They bring us to life. Okay? We've talked about, we talked about this Wednesday. We've talked about this many times. We're called to be salt and light to the world. One way to do that is to just be full of God's word. And his light will burst forth from you in normal living. You don't have to announce that you're a light when you're a light. It's just obvious, right? That happens because God's word is in us and it is bursting out from us. That's what he is saying here. The command of the Lord Radiant, making the eyes light up. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Fear here is a synonym for law. And remember, when you hear fear the Lord, you need not fear anything else. When you fear the Lord, you need not fear anything else. And we're not talking about fear like being afraid. We're talking about reverential awe, like wonder, like worship, like a desire to respect and to please something, 
because they're worthy of that. It's like this. It's like Nolan Ryan. And yeah, Nolan Ryan's fresh on my mind today. You can bet that. Nolan Ryan, if he taught me, like literally taught me by his word, taught me how to pitch a baseball, taught me his routines and his plans and his thought processes, taught me how to eat and how to recover, taught me his mindset of how he approached training and how he approached pitching, guess what I would do? I would do it. I would do what he told me to do because I would trust the information. I would trust who the information is coming from. Therefore, I would do it because as they say, the proof's in the pudding. If you don't know that he's the greatest pitcher that ever lived, now you do because he is. The facts bear it out. Proof's in the pudding. If he told me how to pitch, I'd pitch how he told me to pitch. Well, with that same thought, if God created it all and created us to live in what he created, wouldn't it make the most sense for us to follow his ways? If he tells us what it's all about and what to do and how to do it, wouldn't it make sense to follow him? I mean, I would follow Michael Jordan's basketball advice. I wouldn't follow LeBron's, but I'd follow MJ's, right? I'd follow Nolan's pitching advice. I follow my football coach's advice, right? You follow your financial adv advisor's advice, right? But why, why, why would we not think it's the exact same way about God's advice of how to live when he is clearly the one that knows the most about how that should take place? It says his ways are pure and everlasting. His ordinances, that word there is his justice. His ways of making things right are trustworthy and righteous. There's no falsity within them. There's no error within them. So why wouldn't we just follow his ways? It says, verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. than an abundance of pure gold uses a different word. Gold and then pure gold, different word. There's a difference in gold and pure gold. And sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. So he says here, because of these, these six bicolas that he's describing God's ways, God's word, they are the most valuable and should be the most valued thing on this earth. They should be the most valued thing in our life. And they should be the most sweet-tasting and satisfying thing that we experience on this earth. That's what David is saying there. Here, here's what I'll challenge you to do if you want an, an idea of, of what that means. Because our palate has got so much junk on it most of the time. Just try not to eat sugar for a couple of days. Just a couple of days. And then get you a big old tablespoon of honey. And you'll be reminded of how sweet good honey is. Not that junk they sell us in the stores. It's all watered down and it's only about half honey. I mean real honey. That stuff is amazing. So is God's word. And so he finishes up this second section by introducing the next section. He says, in addition, your servant is warned by them. There's great reward in keeping them. Right? If all that is true about God's law, if all that stuff is true, his word is ways, then God is telling us something important, and it would be to our very great benefit to hear and hear them, the way the Hebrew says it, to our great reward to trust and obey his way, which brings us to the last section. So real cap, recap real quick. We had that God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through his legislation, through his law, through his word. And now God provides for man's salvation. All that in mind, David switches gears like and takes a direct turn to the right. It feels like, but it actually makes perfect sense. In light of all that, he says, who perceives his unintentional sins? 
Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. There's something awfully humbling about verse 12. There's something awfully humbling about that. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Here's what we try to do as so-called Jesus followers, church goers and attenders. We try to dress up and modify our behavior a little bit. And then we start to think we're pretty good. That's what we do. We shouldn't, but that's what we do. And when you do that, you're not even realizing how sinful you are. It's like, hey, I wore jeans and tucked in my shirt, and I showed up this morning. I'm pretty good. And David's like, Lord, I have such even unrecognized darkness in me, sin in me, wretchedness in me. God, keep me from that. Cleanse me from that. Cleanse me from how wretched I don't even realize I am in comparison to how good and glorious and holy that you are. In other words, if it was, if it was a bar chart, right, that's what we, like, I'm getting ahead of you. Now you're working hard and you're trying to get ahead of me. If it was a bar chart, right, and if, 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 if Josh was, no, if I was right here and Josh was like way here, he was like being way more righteous and holy than me, right, and, 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 and then Josh could easily go, I mean, I'm even doing better than the preacher. I'm pretty good, right? But then if you compare that to God's holiness and his righteousness, it would be like one of those lights in a movie, you know, that just, like just nonstop blasts through the ceiling and never stops going up. And we think because we get a little bit ahead of each other that we're something, and God's going, really? Like, I don't care if your shirt's tucked in or not. I just want you to trust me. And love me and believe that my way is the best way. Why wouldn't you? I did it all. Just trust me. That's what David is saying there in verse 12. It's humbled. It's humbling to think about that. Come before God through the blood of Jesus and say, God, I'm not even going to pretend to be righteous before you. I'm not even going to pretend. I ain't going there. Cleanse me of my sins unaware. God, don't, don't allow me for a second, not one single second, to get all high and mighty and holier than thou. Help me to remember that any righteousness or goodness is in me is from you and is like filthy rags compared to who you are. Lord, don't let me forget that, is what David is saying here in verse 12. And then he says, and with that in mind, since I'm so sinful, I don't even realize how sinful I am. Lord, keep me from willingly sinning. Keep me from my willing sins. Now, this, this is cool. Real quick. I won't, I won't linger. I promise. I won't linger. I promised I was going to get that by 12. We'll be close. Now, this is the way that it comes across in the English translations. Willful sins, right? If you're in the King James, presumptuous sins. Okay? It's, it, the word here in the English is the adjective. It's describing the noun. Willful sins. right? Presumptuous sins. And that's not wrong because that's what the word means. It means presumptuous. It, it means arrogant. But in the Hebrew, it's one word there talking about all of it, and it's a noun. It is the thing. It's not describing the sin. It is 
what it is. And in the Hebrew, it says, it says, Lord, I don't want an arrogant heart. Not I don't want to willfully sin. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want an arrogant character. I don't want to be a fool and think that I can do this without you, is what David is saying in that Hebrew word. It's a, the Hebrew language is so cool. It has so much meaning wrapped up in its words. Lord, I know that I can't do this with you. I know that, that is true. Don't let me lie to myself for a second and make myself believe that I don't need you. I need you every hour. I need you. I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. Bless me, my Savior. I come to thee. Right? A beautiful hymn tells us right there. We know that. We need him. That, see, with that in mind, if I am arrogant, then that's going to lead to my blatant rebellion. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it, something clicked in me whenever I realized that this week. Like, like it's, it's me that I need to be kept from, not just modified behavior. See, that's what I think of. Willful sins, I think of, well, if I can just stop doing that willful sin. No, no, no. No, no, no. Change me, Lord. Change my arrogance within me, thinking that I know best, that I know what I'm doing. David is saying, hey, we got to hear God's word. We got to heed God's word, God's word because sal- we, we need his word for salvation. We must hear God's word and heed God's word because for salvation we need God's word. It's like the author of Hebrews says, and we're almost done. He says it this way when it comes to God's laws and Jesus and following the whole thing. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. What's, God's like? What's God like? He is Jesus because it's the same thing. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has spoken his final and everlasting word to us through his son, Jesus. God made flesh, who paid our ransom, made a way for us to be purified from sins, unknown and blatant sins, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. In other words, he is equal in essence and power and glory with the Father. This, that right there, that's the God I worship. That is Jesus, the maker and sustainer of all things. And David finishes this way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, in light of all this stuff, make what I say pleasing to you. And make what I ingest and linger on the things that please you. Because you're unchanging and undestroyable. You're my rock. That was a spider, by the way. And you have redeemed me. You bought me back at an immeasurable price. You're my rock and my redeemer. So why would I not live for you? God has made himself known to all through creation and specifically made himself known through his legislation. And he did all of it to redeem us, to save us, to forgive us from our sins so that he could have us with him Forever, And that's the entire point that all this stuff exists. 
his glory and our benefit through trusting, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the one that saved us from our sins. If you never have, today's the day of salvation. Come forward and let us know, and we'll be happy to pray with you and walk you through that. God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your church and the privilege that it is to come together as, as, as those that, 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 are, that, that want, Lord, that wrestle with you, just like your people Israel, God. We wrestle with you. Lord, thank you that, that you have brought us together to, to, to work together, to be transparent with each other and know that we don't have it all figured out and we need you, God. We need you, but don't, God, don't let us forget that we need you. Don't let us get on our high horse. It does no good. It dishonors you and it hurts others, which is the worst thing we can do, God. It makes us our God. And idol worship is what you hate. God, if there's anyone here today that has never placed their faith in you, God, may today be that day. But if there's many of us here, God, that have placed our faith in you recently or for a long time, God, but it's been a while, a while since we examined ourselves in light of your revelation, God, that maybe today we just need to spend some time in repentant prayer to a God that just welcomes us back, Lord, through our confession. Thank you, God, that that is true, that you love us even in spite of our darkness. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.